Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. This is Al Lunsford, digital editor at Lynx. Happy to be sitting across from George Pepper again here in the Lynx HQ at Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. George is the editor of Lynx, of course, which I've said numerous times, but a man who needs no introduction, certainly. Uh, but George, how you doing? Great. Great to be here as always, Al. Yep. And George is here. We're closing uh, up the editing process for our winter 2020. 20 issue, which should uh, be coming out in the next month or so. Mid-January. Mid-January, which is really exciting. And it's another great opportunity for me and George to sit down and record some great content for our Lynx Golf podcast. The subject of today's podcast, we wanted to give a little you know, tip of the cap to uh, a legend of the game who unfortunately has has passed recently, and that's Pete Dye, a uh, legendary art, golf course architect who passed away. This would be last week now at the age of 94. So I wanted to kind of just give a little bit of uh, a celebration of life almost of, of what Pete meant to the game and talk about some of his courses and Maybe George has a story or two and in his interactions with Pete. But um, George, when you think about Pete Dye and his legacy and what he meant to the game of golf, what are some things that come to mind? Well, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is he was uh, a simple man in, in many ways, an insurance salesman from the Midwest uh, who loved golf, <clears throat> was a really good golfer, but didn't get into the course design business or the business of golf until his mid-30s. He was a man with no pretenses. I think Pete, 90% of the days of his life, wore a pair of khakis and a white golf shirt and never changed from that. He uh, wasn't concerned about uh, foppery or, or looking good. He didn't really care about those things. Uh, one of the things I liked best about him was he was always accompanied on the golf course by a dog. Uh, I think the first time I met him was back in the late 70s uh, at, in the Dominican Republic, and he was out working on one of the courses there, and he had this uh, mangy animal with him. And he said, oh, meet 60. And that was his dog's name, 60, and I forget why he named it 60. And, but then about oh, 10, 12 years later, uh, I ran into him again in Florida, and he had another uh, mangy dog with him. And, and we came up, and I started petting the dog. He said, well, meet 60. I said, well, wait a minute. Your last dog was named 60. He said, well, all my dogs are named 60. <laughs> so he, really, as I say, he was a simple guy was with simple uh, tastes and proclivities. And uh, I like that about him. He didn't take any uh, stick from anyone. He had no heirs. He treated everyone equally, whether you were a groundskeeper or the owner developer. And he had a kind of a... A funny, strange speech cadence. He, he talked really in fast staccato sentences that you had to work to keep up with. And and his mind, uh, I think, was both very quick and went in directions that most minds don't. And uh, sometimes I think only he knew exactly what he was talking about. So you really had to stick with Pete Dye. But if you did, uh, you learned a lot. And, of course, as an architect, he was bold. He, he broke the mold. He, he tried things uh, Others never had. Some never would. Famously, he made a trip to Scotland uh, at the beginning of his career in the mid-60s, around 1963, I think. He, he went over there for a couple of months and saw things and learned things about uh, the architecture of golf that he never dreamed existed. And he 
would incorporate them in his courses uh, for the rest of his life. I mean, some of them were um, mild, like just the um, the uh, shaping of the greens and the size of the greens. Others were crazy, like he would bury Volkswagens in front of greens to make blind holes, and he brought in wooden bridges and sleeper planks for his uh, his uh, bunkers and. Uh, did all sorts of things, as they say, that, that American golf had never seen. And that's a big part of his legacy. And, you know, you see it. I, I saw in memoriam a bunch of people posting different things. I, I was really cracked up by one. I can't remember what course it is, but there's a body of water on the right of this hole. And out in the middle of the, the lake is a, a small little piece of man-made land with a mailbox on it. And it's... Uh, you know, you ask, like, what's that out there? It's like, oh, that's Pete's uh, suggestion box if you have any uh, <laughs> co- thoughts or comments on his golf course, um, which sounds about right for and par for the course for Pete. Yeah, well, he uh, he took criticism when he got it, and, it, and not everything he did uh, was perfect. But uh, as I say, he did break them all. I think Harbor Town, which is probably the, the first significant course he did, I would call one of the— 10 or 12 most significant golf courses in the in the evolution of golf course architecture. Why? Because it came out in 1969, and that was kind of the height of the Robert Trent Jones era for 15 years. Every other architect had been paying homage to Trent Jones, and his design philosophy was make everything big. Big, wide fairways, huge greens with lots of pin placements, big bunkers, and lots of length. And Pete, because he's Pete, decided he was going to go in absolutely opposite direction. He constructed a golf course where you have to walk single file down some of the fairways and uh, tree-lined and and lots of pot bunkers, evidence of his trip to Scotland and some of the planks on a couple of the uh, greenside bunkers. And it it broke every rule, and yet I think he said at the time, uh, it's different, but so was Garbo. And that was his defense. And yet it was brilliant. And, of course, they had the first uh, Heritage Classic, Arnold Palmer won. And that was all the uh, confirmation, ratification uh, the world of golf needed. And um, that design really was a, a turning point. Target golf became much more the thing over here than it was. And the bigness era came to an end. And Pete Dye became the model. I did have the opportunity to uh, look up why... Pete's dog was named 60 and you may have heard this so this may be a reminder but it's because how that's how much the dog cost when he (laughs) bought it and so he just kept naming him 60 over and over again (laughs) that's great he probably paid 60 bucks for every other dog too (laughs) maybe so (laughs) maybe so uh you think about the influence of his wife alice on his design. Me and you were kind of just talking about it before we started recording. What did she do to to his perspective? Yeah. Well, I think Alice gets a, a lot of credit, maybe the preponderance of credit, uh, and that's not fair, for the fact she, that she suggested the island green at the 17th hole of the TPC. But Alice did much, much more than that. She was a very bright lady, every bit as good a golfer as Pete. She won several uh, senior, one U.S. senior uh, amateur. And she had a very good mind, and she also was the defender of the average golfer. Pete, uh, partly because of 
the what he got into with the building of TPC courses and whatnot became the great uh, opponent of the PGA Tour pros and and began designing very very difficult courses and I think that was his bent and Alice would have to uh, kind of rein him back I think Tom Doak tells a story about I think it was when Long Cove which uh, Doak in Hilton Head which Doak uh, apprenticed to, to Pete on and uh, the story of uh, Pete and Alice having a conversation about the direction the course is going and Alice said Pete don't make this course so difficult this time remember Mrs. Cathcart we met at the cocktail party the other night the elderly woman who has bought a house on the property and just wants to have fun on the golf course she's the one you're designing for so don't don't go crazy and of course Alice is was also probably the world's greatest uh, uh, proponent of easing up the courses for, for women and it was she who said look uh, when a man and woman, woman, husband and wife play together, the tees on most golf courses are situated so that their tee shots, if they both hit reasonable tee shots, come to rest basically in the same area of the golf course. Well, that's insanity because if it's a 400-yard par 4 and the guy hits it, 250. He's got 150 yards left, and he might hit a seven iron or a six iron. Most the woman is leaning on a three wood or four wood. Right. Yeah. What the tee should be situated so when the woman's uh, ball comes to rest, she's hitting the same six iron or seven iron. In other words, she's got 110 yards, and so she was a great proponent for golf courses of 5,000 yards rather than 6,000 yards for women. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and. Pete, uh, he did need some reining back. I was there actually in 1980 when the TPC Sawgrass opened, and they had a huge gala opening day. And uh, I remember that it was it was kind of weird. They had a Hawaiian uh, priest of some kind in a white robe, chanting and throwing incense and petals in the air and blessing the course in some way. I don't know what Dean Beeman was thinking at the time, but that was part of the deal. And uh, and they also the first hole had a herd of goats on it. Pete thought that would be a nice, authentic touch from the old country. I don't think they lasted more than a year or so. And I know the golf course he designed didn't last very long. It was actually, dare I say, one of the worst golf courses I've ever played when it opened. I played at that opening day with a guy named Bert Yancey, who was a pretty good tour pro, pro during the 60s and 70s. And Yancey remembers pretty well. I believe he hit 14 greens and shot 83. Wow. The greens were contoured, uh, I think someone said they were contoured by Darth Vader and Nicholas said something I've never been very good at at hitting a a five iron off the the hood of a Buick or that type of comment. Everybody just let uh, Pete have it. It was just too hard. And over the years, uh, he made it into a, a difficult but playable and a great really a great test of shot making for the pros. Now, having said that, um, I would disagree with someone who eulogized uh, Pete recently. I don't know whether it might have been Nicholas who said he had a unique genius to make championship golf courses that were great tests for the pros, but were also a pleasure for the average golfer. I would take issue with that. I don't think TPC, even from reasonable tees, is an enduring pleasure for the average golfer, nor do I think the ocean course at Kiowa. I think that's the hardest golf course 
in America. Yeah. And I would say the same about Whistling Straits. It's a beautiful, scenic, fun, uh, you know, enjoyable, charming place to play. But it's a bear. Uh, among the four courses uh, at Whistling Strait, in fact, I would put um, the Whistling Straits course um, third. Uh, the, the two of them, Meadow Valley and the River course, which are 20 minutes away, I prefer both of those. And those are good Pete Dye courses for everyone. So, yeah, going back to Alice's role. Thank goodness he had her. He, she was his secret weapon, a leavening influence that, that uh, was needed. Yeah. We'll get to see that on full display, the 2020 Ryder Cup coming up here this year. Absolutely. Um, so have you had the opportunity to, I guess this may be a rhetorical question, like you almost just answered it, but um, have you played the ocean course, some of these super-duper hard courses yeah. and how'd you how'd you fare <laughs> I, I won't tell you <laughs> i played the ocean course a couple of times i think i got it under 100 once uh i mean again it's beautiful and i think there more than anywhere whatever set of tees you think you should play take one set of tees shorter wow and just minimize the wind which is ever present and uh yeah and because the greens are pretty tough they're exposed and and yet undulating and it's not exactly trouble free on route to the greens either and and whistling straits is another it's a tough walk it can be a dangerous walk in places and last i checked they you, you don't take carts on that's a walking golf course only and uh, again in a wind you saw the pga a decade or so ago how tough it was out there and the one before that as well it's uh I think a, a lot of people go to uh, the American Club because of the the fame of, of the Whistling Straits course, and and that's the course they want to play first. But I think if they play all of them, they may not come back thinking that was their favorite. And as I said, Pete did a, a terrific job, I think, on uh, Meadow Valley and the River Course. I think his best, of course, is, is Casa de Campo. I think it probably is rated most highly of all the Pete Dye golf courses. And there he was blessed with a, an amazing piece of land in the, in the Dominican Republic, right on the water. It was relatively early in his career, early 70s, mid-70s. I think I may have mentioned in an earlier podcast, my wife and I had our honeymoon there in 1978. And, uh, I mean, it, 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 he, they had the good sense to give him the best part of the land on the, on the water for the golf course, and he took full advantage of it. Eight terrific holes, uh, three of them par threes that are water crossing or water skirting par threes, and uh, it's just drama from beginning to end. But even the, the more inland holes are fun. Every hole offers some bit of strategic challenge, or um, it's just it's just a great course from from start to to finish. Yeah, can it be understated to, with the kind of list of guys that have been under Pete's wing? And learn from him, Bill Core, Tom Doak, Jim Urbina, even to an extent, Jack Nicholas. Can it be understated his impact on the game's future? No, I, I don't think anyone has had, uh, yeah, maybe one other architect 
in the history of the game has had the same enduring influence through generations, and that you have to go back pretty far, would be old Tom Morris. Everyone who's anyone in the game has gone and either looked at what he did at St. Andrews or beginning with C.B. McDonald, Donald Ross, telling us they actually went and met him and talked to him and sat at his knee. Uh, Pete, I think, not just in the design of the golf courses, but in the work ethic, uh, he, he believed strongly that you work at only one golf course at a time. And I think that um, Crenshaw, Doak, Coren feel that way. I think uh, Gil Hans uh, also has taken that uh, attitude. It's a little bit easier nowadays than it was in the uh, roaring 70s and 80s when uh, there were a lot of golf courses being built. Yeah. So the, these guys don't uh, aren't being offered the projects in the numbers they were back then. But nonetheless, the attention to quality and actually getting there. You talk to uh, Doak or, or Hans, uh, particularly um, what they like best about the job is getting their, their feet dirty and hopping on the bulldozer. and Boots on the ground. Yeah. And- yeah, doing the shaping. Yeah. And that was, was Pete's, uh, where Pete didn't like offices and blueprints much. He'd, uh, he'd draw a couple of dots and connect the dots and say, that's it. But what he liked doing was walking the walking the land and seeing holes. Yeah. Well, you told us our, your story of going to dinner with, with them at, at one point. And do you have any other things that stick out in your mind from over the years or? Gee... No, just the one about Alice and shooting her age. Yeah. <laughs> that was uh, yeah. open mouth, insert foot. She she was a great golfer, and I, I asked her whether she had ever shot her age, and she said, no way, no, George, I'm only 57. I still blush when I tell that story. <laughs> but to Pete's credit, I mean, he, I saw him about uh, 10 days, I don't know, it would have been about several months later. He was opening, I think it was Eagle Pines in Orlando, and it was one of these press outings, and I happened to be on a cart with him, and we were going along, and in the distance, another cart comes up, and he leans over to me, he says, here comes that old bag of a wife of mine. <laughs> so he and Alice had lots of fun together. Yeah, that's great. Well, uh, enjoyed this conversation, kind of a, a stroll through the career of one of the, the greatest to ever do it, and... Thanks for giving me your your thoughts on that. You'll be missed. He most certainly will. All right. Well, that'll do it for for our little uh, celebration of the life of Pete Dye for today. And we will catch you next time.